Hello, and welcome to Pet Talk Podcast, the official podcast of Alicia Pet Care Center, a veterinary hospital in Mission Viejo, California. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the office manager, marketing person, and also the podcast host. Welcome back. It's been a while since we have done an episode, mainly really due to busyness of the hospital and an inability to pull the veterinarians into the office as much to record. But we are here again with a new fire underneath us to really bring a lot more information and material to you, the listener, to our clients and also uh, pet owners around the world and also to bring our doctors back in here to answer some of those questions that are coming to us via social media or our actual visits here in the hospital. So today we are going to be joined with Dr. Matthew Wheaton, who is, yes, my brother and the owner. And we are going to talk about spaying and neutering your pet and the importance of that And as you will see in the title, this is going to be a two-parter and it is going to cover a lot of information. We were going to just do this as a single episode, but then once we started getting into the meat and potatoes of it, we realized there was just no way. It was too much information. We didn't want to skimp out on it just to make a shorter episode. So we broke it down into two even somewhat longer episodes for you guys to digest all of this information and all of these different sides of the importance of spaying and neutering your pet, whether it's a cat or a dog, and what that means and what even that process is here inside surgery with the doctors. So without further ado, let's get to the first part of this episode. We are here today with Dr. Matthew Wheaton, the owner and medical director of Alicia Pet Care Center. Welcome, Dr. Wheaton. Thank you, Timothy. You're welcome. So we are here today to talk about something that faces all pet owners globally and locally, which is spaying and neutering your pet, which for some is a very difficult decision that they have to kind of talk about with their spouse or loved ones throughout the family about and controlling the pet population is something very important. I'm not a doctor. You are a doctor. So why don't you tell us, Dr. Wheaton, about the importance of spaying and neutering your pet? Thank you, Timothy, for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts. I think it's a (laughs) great platform. I'm a big fan of the pod. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So it's a huge issue. Honestly, it's a big issue decision that everybody has to make that owns dogs and cats. And and that's what our discussion is basically going to be limited to species wise today, just so we're talking, so we know what we're talking about. But everybody has to make that decision. Am I going to spay or neuter my dog or cat? When am I going to do it? Who am I going to do it with? How am I going to do it? You know, all those things are decisions that have to be made. And these are important decisions that are going to affect the home life for that pet and for the family. And they are important decisions that are honestly can have an impact on the world because dogs and cats, if they were left to reproduce as they would like to, 
multiplying numbers that are just mind-boggling. So if you take two cats, a male and female, and you allow them to breed, and you allow for all of their offspring to breed, by the end of seven years, you will have 420,000 cats. Wow. From those two that started off. That's crazy. Same same time period, basically, in dogs. is One year shorter, six years, will get you to 67,000 dogs. So that is a wake-up call, I think, for why this is actually a really important decision. It's why, for instance, when I traveled throughout Guatemala, which I did during vet school, thank you very much, Sadie Cabrera, for taking me to Guatemala. It was an incredible experience. But when I was there, we were walking through a town, and she was pointing out that uh, that was the day that they were warning all of their residents that they were putting out bait that night and they basically put out baits for the local kind of stray dog population and the dogs eat the bait and they get poisoned and die and if your pet is not in your house that night it's going to eat this bait because they make it really tantalizing mixing it with ground beef and stuff like that and the dogs eat it and they that's how they deal with their pet overpopulation issue and, and honestly, if we, I am an animal lover, obviously, but if you look at it from a public health perspective and you don't have a system in place for people to actually go and spay their animals, and if they allow their animals to be walking around the neighborhood, they're going to reproduce. That is what kind of, to some extent, drives every single animal on this planet. So... It's a public health issue because if they have all these dogs and they don't do anything about it, what are they supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they should have shelters and they should adopt them out. But but to be honest with you, they're multiplying way faster than they can have homes. They live a good long life if they are if they are housed and taken care of. So you just can't have enough homes for all those animals. So they have to be there has to be a way to make it so that they don't have to basically be ending up in shelters, euthanized, you know, killed one way or the other by some government entity or somebody else because they're just too numerous. So it is a global issue. It's also an environmental issue. And, you know, it's an ethical one that I think we need to make our choices be a good example for the rest of humanity. So on that point, they are looking into actively ways to do this a little bit more easily and more cost effectively. And it's very inconvenient to have the means of sterilization of dogs and cats to be a surgical procedure for just this. If we're just talking about this topic, you know, as a big issue, it's very inconvenient to do that because then you have to have a whole team. You have to have specialized training, equipment, anesthesia. There's risk associated with that. Um, there's pretty significant costs. You need special facilities. That's that's part of the stumbling block here in this the solution to this problem, which is why Dr. Gary Michelson has put a twenty five million dollar award out there for whoever can figure out as a scientist the means to sterilize dogs and cats safely with something other than a surgical procedure. Basically, it's going to be some kind of injection or implant 
that is maybe it's a hormone who knows exactly what it's going to be but there is an active search for that and it, it will happen i would imagine during my career um, so eventually I probably will end up not really doing spays and neuters. It's kind of a funny thing to think about, but it's probably going to happen. So in the meantime, we don't have that. So we basically have to do this procedure. And it's a it's a big decision for people because in the instance of a kitten or a puppy, you get this dog or cat in your house and you bond really tightly to it. And it's a, you know, it's a young individual when it's being spayed or neutered typically and it's scary for a lot of people it's you know requires some costs there's a financial hit um there's planning involved there's there's some consequences of doing it that theoretically can can be things that push people away or or problems that they might have to deal with that might make it so that they're less likely to do it the next time you know all of those things so we're at Alicia Pecker Center we try to make this be a situation that is extremely safe is extremely routine, not a worrisome day for an owner, a very affordable thing for a pet owner to embark upon and, um, you know, a pleasant experience and also one that is setting everyone up for success, including the patient. So we'll get to some of that later on in the podcast, but we've got some really kind of, I think, groundbreaking information to share with a lot of people that probably have never heard any of this stuff. So this is not just a spay or neuter your dog talk. I think it's going to be a lot more than that. So I think we should talk about kind of what leads into this or maybe the counter argument would just talk about first. And it's like, why, why do we need to spay our dogs? Like beyond these big things, like what's going to actually happen? Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that. So let's talk about what happens if you don't neuter your male dog or cat. We'll start with dogs. So a male dog is not necessarily going to all of them turn into bullies. You know, we, we kind of have this image of the stereotypical male dog as this ripped pit bull, you know, that's intact, that's mean and wearing a spiked collar and throws his weight around and is kind of a scary dog. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not... They don't all end up like that, but honestly, some of the most aggressive dogs that we encounter are intact, less than 10 pound chihuahuas, mm. a little male chihuahua that is three years of age or older that has his nuts still is more than likely going to be an aggressive dog, you know, so there's a lot of that. So let's get into it. So aggression is obviously one of those things. So if you have testosterone in your system it's going to push you to be a little bit more tough and it's going to push you to throw your weight around a little bit. And that is going to come in multiple different forms or ways of personality changing. The dog is going to be more likely to be aggressive, more likely to be dominant towards the owner or potentially the owner's children, the family members at home. Um, certainly much more likely to be aggressive towards other dogs on a walk it's not unusual to have uh, an intact male dog cause trouble for you because it's it's kind of going to share that energy with other dogs. And it, it's just an unpleasant experience for a lot of people. So aggression is one of those things. Uh, next thing I think about is urine marking, which is kind of inevitable for a male dog. It's just based on how they are as animals that are out in the wild. These are evolutionary traits that have been there for a long time and, and have come to be for a purpose 
and that's to protect their territory and and mark the boundaries of their territory. So when you have an intact male dog, you probably are going to have the intermittent lifting of the leg inside or in an inappropriate area. Let's put it that way. It could be at your neighbor's house in the backyard when you're over there for a barbecue. The dog's urine marking everything that is vertical, um, meaning like the the post of the uh, little outside shelter that you're sitting under having a nice barbecue and the dog walks up and lifts its leg and marks there. Or you take your dog down to the local coffee shop and you're trying to have a, you know, kind of chill out moment with your friend and the, you know, dog is trying to mark people's chairs or, I mean, how many times have I had my leg peed on? I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely happened. Yeah. So that is extremely embarrassing when it happens. And it, it's, kind of inevitable that every male dog eventually is going to do that. They don't usually do that right away. Um, some dogs will kind of start at, you know, seven or eight months when they start to go through puberty, but most dogs, it, it takes a little while. So that's another behavior issue. They obviously are being pushed by testosterone in other ways as well, including sexually. So they're more likely to maybe be a little somewhat inappropriate, maybe with some behaviors at home. Some dogs will kind of choose a pillow or a stuffed animal or something like that to kind of have as their little friend, quote unquote, their hump buddy. Yeah, there you go. So that, and and by the way, if anybody's listening to this and their, their dog has recently started to do this, I would immediately take that hump buddy away. I think you just coined that term, but TM. Um, I would take that away because I've seen dogs that, you know, have had these really extremely gross hump buddies for like, you know, eight, 10 years, you know, the dog carries it around the house and then, yeah. So anyways, I think kind of weird. I just heard the collective. Ew. Yeah, it's gross. So, okay. That's not really what I'm meant to be talking about, but, um, what I'm talking about really the more scary stuff is the roaming nature that is going to happen. So a male dog, and this doesn't happen a lot around here because we don't have that many intact dogs in general, I think. And, and our, our local South Orange County, but it certainly happens. And they, if a male dog, they're always in heat. So a female dog, if they're in heat, they're going to release a ton of smell, pheromones and, and odors and such. And you know, that's, that's stuff that's going to waft through the air. And honestly, you probably have a half mile radius on what that, where that odor is going to go and you're going to have your, your male dog want to get to that female dog. So breaking through your fences, getting through the hole in the fence, jumping over the fence, escaping one way or another to go find, you know, what Lolita, let's say, who's <laughs> happening to be in her special time. You know, Hank is going to break out of the backyard and go find his Lolita. So you have that potential hit by car, um, lost dog kind of story too. So that's another big thing. There's a lot of medical things as well with a male dog that will eventually happen to some. So one thing that one thing that's really scientific and normal and and it makes sense is that testosterone, which is going to be coming from the the intact male dog through the testicles, those are those are organs that are secreting a hormone, basically glands, and they oftentimes, as it is with glands, they one gland tells another gland what to do, and then you know the messages keep going. So, testosterone is going to be constantly released. 
the prostate gland is going to be constantly stimulated that leads to growth of this prostate. Sort of think of it as a muscle in a way that if you're constantly stimulating it, it's going to get bigger. And by the time you have a you know eight to ten year old male dog, it's very possible that prostate is so big that it's actually pinching on the uh, urethra and not allowing urine to pass. And then you have a urinary obstruction that ends you up down at the hospital for an expensive procedure to get unblocked. And then you have to do kind of an emergency neuter. Mm. So that's 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 a pretty common problem. It's not a life-threatening condition if it's treated, but but it can definitely be an emotional thing to deal with later on in life and and drama. They will be more prone a male an intact male dog will be more prone to develop tumors around the anus that are typically very intimately associated with the anus itself, so there are a little harder surgeries. They can be recurrent as well. So that's another condition that can form of course the testicles if they're there, they're more, you know, there's obviously a testicular cancer possibility. Um, if the dog is neutered and then testicles are gone, there's no risk of the testicles having cancer. Those are the big things, I think, on the medical side of, of things. And we can talk about male cats, too. They've, they've, they've got their own issues. So male cats have a little less of a, a negative story, but I don't know. In a way, it's kind of a bigger deal, honestly, for for the owner of that cat. So the male cats, they become basically more territorial. They can be a bit more aggressive. Sometimes that aggression will play out towards the family members of, you know, again, kind of throwing their weight around, being a little pushy. Oftentimes I would say it's, it's more likely to go towards someone on the periphery because they are not in that. The mindset of that cat is not the, uh, they're in their family, but I think one of the biggest issues is urine. So just like the male dog, the male cat is going to want to mark their territory and they typically do it in response to other perceived threats. So if you have an indoor only cat, and I think a lot of the intact male cats are honestly outdoors, which is a whole nother issue of spreading disease, et cetera, et cetera. So let's not, let's just basically put a blanket statement on it. If you have an intact male cat, it is a very bad thing for the local cat population to be out there fighting and um, impregnating other cats and potentially spreading disease through multiple fight incidents. But assuming that your cat's indoor only, an intact male cat is much more likely to mark territory in response to a roving, I should say roaming cat outside. So if there's an outside cat, some neighbor lets their cat out temporarily or whatever, and it goes by a window, not even an open window, and the cat, intact male cat inside the house sees that cat, is going to see it and perceive it as a threat. He's very, very likely to urine mark around that area to have his scent of his urine push that other cat away, push it back from the, the territory line, basically, which... Probably the outside cat's not going to be able to smell through the window, but to be honest with you, the potency of that urine is so dang high that it's possible they might. It's really smelly. So that a male cat develops a really strong, pungent urine that I I ask my clients that bring in occasionally and we'll get a you know two-year-old cat that comes in and and I'll ask them straight up, how can you even endure the smell of this cat's urine? Because even if it's in the litter box, it's just going to it's going to smell up the entire house. It's so strong. 
So that's something that we can avoid. If if we do neuter a male cat that has that really pungent urine, within about two weeks, it's back to kind of a normal smell, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Very quick to get back to just kind of the normal stinky cat pee. Those are the big things for a cat. I think the consequences of not neutering a male cat are big, but maybe not as numerous as the the dog. And the, the male cats don't really have too much of a medical problem from being intact, except for the fact that they're just constantly wanting to be outside. They're really pushed by testosterone to be what, what they, you know, I, I would say in the wild, they should be a really, really amazing hunter, very tough individual that also hopefully spreads their seed far and wide. Like we talked about, you know, it, it makes sense for them, but they're, you don't really want that in your house. So, okay. So that covers the male side entirely jinx. Well, I just, all of you know that I'm now Oda Coke, a Dr. Wheaton. Um, so let's go to the female dog. Yeah. So the female dog, the female dog is a bit more dramatic. I would say on the medical side, there's some pretty significant potential consequences to a female dog, not being spayed as it's called. So, a female dog and a male dog to some extent up until about six or seven months is pretty much going to be just a neutral individual. They're not driven by their hormones because there's no hormones yet. And so they don't have these individual characteristics that are notorious. Um, as I talked about the stereotypical intact male dog, well, we have a stereotype on the intact female dog as well, which is maybe just as tough or maybe tougher. And that, you know, is, is the word is the term bitch that is the proper term for an intact female dog. So I like the fact that I can say, can I say bitch on this podcast? You, yeah, I think you can only because we are an animal podcast. So I won't need to actually mark it explicit. Okay. So okay, good. as long as you use it in the animal term yes. only. Yes. So we won't, it started as an animal term and then got co-op co-opted i think is the proper term over towards the you know human side of things but it it, there's a reason why the definition sort of moved over to the people and that's because careful i'm being careful it's because a female dog is a very grumpy pushy individual especially when they are Near the time of them being bred, so they're just about to go into heat, but not quite. And then, you know, of course, they can be extremely protective over their their young. So, you know, they're that's why that term got got taken over to a different meaning. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, an intact female dog obviously can be a problem child of, you know, maybe being a little bit bossy and pushing around. It doesn't want to be told what to do and aggressive and, and honestly can be, you know, downright scary individual of, of being mean and lashing out at, at people or other animals that are in the area. So that is part of that. Um, Additionally, they go into heat around, Usually right around nine months, there's a little variation there, but it's typically somewhere between eight and 10 months that they go through their first heat cycle. And if you've not dealt with this, I think you should thank your lucky stars because it's not that fun. A female dog that goes into heat 
will basically cycle through a process of having eggs that are ready to be fertilized through mating. And then, you know, there's there's sloughing of different things going on through the uterus and whatnot. And the dogs bleed. They actively bleed. Um, that comes out of their vagina. It cannot really be easily stopped. Um, you basically end up almost everybody has to do a diaper situation on their dogs, which is not fun at all. It, you know, the diapers have to be changed. The dog has to be cleaned. It's really super annoying. It's kind of a logistical mess and, uh, frustrating for almost everybody that goes through it. That's not fun. That happens every six months. So every six months they go through this whole cycle all over again and do their thing and are, you know, kind of a pain in the butt, I would say. Um, for an owner that's not necessarily wanting to go through all of this for a purpose, if you're wanting to breed your dog, then that's a different topic. But um, if you're not, it just ends up being super annoying. So, but that process does a lot of things hormonally. And if a female dog goes through one heat cycle, so that's going to happen again, typically around nine months or so, they increase their breast cancer risk from zero to 8%. Hmm. So if you spay a female dog prior to her first heat cycle, prior to her going through puberty, you virtually lock in place that neutral gender. That's why they call it a neuter. Hmm. But you're basically neutralizing the gender and turning it into not a male, not a female, but kind of this in-between non-gender gender. If You look at breast cancer, well, what happens after the second heat cycle is that the the odds increase even more. And after the third heat cycle, which doing the math on that is 12 plus nine months. What is that? 21 months. So just three months. under the assumption there would be no math involved in this this podcast (laughs) episode. Yeah. Anyways, by the time you've got the third heat cycle, that's a 25% risk factor for breast cancer development. Wow. That's pretty intense. That's Honestly, intense. like you can give your dog by something that you do a 25% chance of cancer by something that you don't do. Well, I would say it's something that you do do because you're actively making a choice to not do what everybody is telling you to do. Truth. Right. So I think that is a heavy thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> what person there has to be a reason for that. I mean, if you're going to do that, you better be getting something incredible out of it. But Breast cancer breaks down into 50% roughly are malignant and 50% are benign. So benign doesn't mean no problem. Benign can grow and grow and grow and can ulcerate and bleed and cause all kinds of problems. The only thing that the benign tumor does is make it so that you don't lose your dog to a cancer. You still have to go through the process of dealing with the cancer, which means you have to do a surgery, which puts the dog through risk and costs money and all this other stuff. So that's really, really important. And, and not, um, we're not done with this conversation yet because if you spay your dog after the third heat cycle, so let's say you say, oh, I'm just done. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's a pain. It's messy. It's gross. I'm tired of it. I'm going to finally spay my female dog at three years of age. She still has a 25% chance of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. You didn't minimize it by spaying her after the fact. 
So that's a big bummer. We don't want to do that. Malignancies obviously take dogs down. Um, that's a cancer that spreads. They typically spread via lymph nodes. So you get these super huge lymph nodes in the back of the dog's abdomen that are, you know, just can't win the battle. And those dogs end up being euthanized. It's very sad. So I would say that's probably the most black and white story that we have on why to spay or neuter your pet of every, you know, four different, the four different characteristics that we have or four different categories that we have. Um, dogs, cats, females, and males. Did we do female cat? We haven't yet, but we're, okay. we're going to do that next. Oh, I like it. But that, that's probably the most black and white reason why you would want to spay your female dog. Another big thing, and I had one of these last week as a patient in here. Every time a female dog goes through a heat cycle, there's a hormonal surge of all kinds of weird things. You know, it's just like, kind of getting ready to be pregnant. There's lots of stuff that happens. It's very complicated. And sometimes things don't go right. And the way that things don't go right in this situation in a really negative kind of way is development of something called a pyometra. A pyometra basically means pus in the uterus. And what it is, is it's a very fast development of an abscessed uterus. The uterus of a dog or cat when this happens literally fills up with pus. So you have these tiny tubes. You know, when we spay a, a female dog of almost any size, honestly, these the size of the uterus is like, um, I don't know if there's any fisher people out there, but like a, the size of a night crawler. It's, it's mm. not very big. You know, it's a, it's a garden worm kind of thing on both sides. A dog who goes through heat, it's more like a, you know, small sausage. Um, it's, it's much bigger than a, than a worm, but it's not, it's not huge. The pyometra takes that, you know, bigger size and, and fills literally fills these tubes up with pus. So it ends up being like the, uh, a dog that I saw last week was about a 30 pound dog. When we took the x-ray, it looked like it had probably three, two to three pulsa kielbasa sausages in its oh, wow. abdomen. I mean, wow. just huge uh, sacks of pus. And the dog came in with a fever, wasn't feeling good, had had its heat cycle four to six weeks earlier, which is kind of the, the time course here. This dog, there's two different ways of doing the pyometra thing, if we can segue a tiny bit. Is this too gross about uh, the pus and everything? No, I th as long as we're not doing audiovisual no, no, we're not going to show any pictures on yeah. this, but you can Google those. So you can have an open pyometra, which is a lot easier for everyone to diagnose. An open pyometra, the open part refers to the cervix. So if you have an open pyometra, you have these pus bags basically up in the abdomen that is the pus-filled uterus that is draining out the vulva. So you, an owner will see things that make it pretty easy to tell that there's something not right, Pus coming out is usually a sign that you should go see your vet, by the way. Sometimes the dogs will be licking excessively, so sometimes they kind of hide the evidence. But that's an open pyometra. Those open pyometra dogs usually are a little less sick, a little less dangerous because the, the pus has somewhere to go. And there's a closed pyometra, and that means that the cervix is closed, and that means that the pus doesn't have anywhere to go. And so the pus just keeps building and building and building and getting more and more. And so the dogs generally end up getting septic, 
which means that there's bacteria in the bloodstream. So they develop a fever. They start to get really sick. That oftentimes coincides with pus leaking out of the top of the uterus right near the ovaries. Pus will actually leak out when, when it's really high pressure in the uterus. The pus will leak into the abdomen, and then you have a peritonitis situation on your hands as well. And those dogs don't, don't do well at all. They, they oftentimes die. There's a saying that we were taught in, in vet school at UC Davis, ding, that I just want to give props to my school. Um, don't ever let the sun set on a pyometra. And this is probably multiple places that say this, but that is because it is a, it is a very urgent thing. And, and waiting overnight and saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm seeing this dog at five o'clock at night. I'm ready to go home. Allowing it to wait overnight is a dangerous thing. And so that's generally an emergency surgery in the situation that you will find yourself in as a dog or cat owner with a pyometra surgery is that you will be compelled to now do the spay that you were putting off doing. Unfortunately, you have a very sick pet that is going to need a lot of extra care. Uh, you have a surgery that was extremely easy, not easy, but straightforward and routine. And now you've turned it into an extremely difficult surgery with tissues that want to break down and rip and it's just not a good scenario. So you end up paying financially somewhere between, I don't know, four to maybe, maybe six or seven times the cost of a typical spay when you're doing a pyometra. It's just a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a big financial hit for a lot of people that, you know, potentially might've been putting off doing the spay because they couldn't afford, or they didn't think they could afford to do the spay. And now they have this pet that's dying in front of them that they have to make really tough decisions. So we don't want to go there. Those are the biggest things I think associated with being intact on the negative side of things and personality changes. And those two big medical conditions of, of cancer and a potential pyometra. There are some other things as well, but uh, those are the those would be the big takeaways, I would say, on the female dog side. Female now cat. we can finally get to the female cat who's been waiting so patiently. <laughs> like like any female cat would yes. do. Um, female cat is pretty much kind of the same story with the female dog. Um, not so much on the personality side. I don't think I hear too many people complaining about the female cat. They're usually pretty sweet. Interestingly, you can kind of tell the difference of what... The human population over time, at least that speaks English, thinks of the female dog compared to the female cat. Do you know what a female cat's name is? I, it's not a bitch. It's, not, it's definitely not a bitch, but I'm a little afraid of what may be coming. It's, so. It reflects the nice nature of the female cat that is intact. They're really not mean like their dog counterpart. Or grumpy or whatever. They're called queens. Oh. Isn't that nice? I did not know that. The so, hashtag yes. the more you know. Yeah. So, so you know, obviously a queen is not typically very mean, although we can make some, make some historical references mm -hmm. here. But anyways, so it's more about the pyometra thing. Um, you have massive risks on the cat getting pregnant. Of course, they love to get pregnant and they get pregnant very quickly. They're very different from a male dog. We should talk about that. This is part of the reason why 
the 67,000 and 420,000 mm-hmm. is different for males and female or uh, female dogs and cats. And that's because cats are unique in that they are induced ovulators. It's a very unique kind of ovulation pattern um, or, you know, kind of reproductive status. I don't even know what to call that, Um, but it's very interesting. So a female cat will not cycle automatically. They don't go into heat every six months. They go into heat if they perceive a male cat to potentially be around. And they're not very good at determining male versus female cats, by the way. So if a female cat is around another female cat, they're probably going to ovulate. Mm. But they are induced ovulators. So what that means is if they have a litter of kittens and they are pretty much getting to the end of the period where they are, you know, high demand. So usually five, six weeks sometimes even four weeks, the kittens are pretty precocious. They're, they're wanting to get out and explore. They're really not that dependent on mom anymore. And they're already weaning themselves off of milk. They're usually out there kind of in a, in the wild, they would be out already trying to eat bugs and, and doing some hunting activities, supplementing with things that they can catch, turning into their little carnivorous selves. And in the home, they're going to be offered food and they're going to be gobbling it up Mm -hmm. at five, six weeks. So at that point, there's a lot less energy being taken by the mom. So the mom's reproductive system goes back into, well, am I ready to go again? I sure am. And then they get bred again by, you know, this male cat that's around. We'll call him Tom. Tom. Tom cat. Yeah. And Miss Miss Queen, I won't call her Mrs. Queen because she's open to all. She'll go with whoever and she'll get pregnant while she still has a litter of kittens on her. And so it just never stops. So you if you have an outside a, a cat that gets pregnant, if you have a female cat that gets pregnant and then you have this litter of kittens that you're trying to rehome or whatever you're trying to do. You need to get that cat spayed. Keep it inside. Get it spayed right away because, and and get it spayed. You know, as the kittens are are weaning off and whatnot. But that cat will get pregnant right away. So that is a big difference between the cat and the dog. So you have kind of the the issues on the cat side is pyometra still. Um, pregnancies are going to be very rampant and. The breast cancer story is different in the cat, and there nobody's really done this big study that was done on the dog side, so we don't really have the best numbers on this, but if you go through heat cycles, if you have your ovaries producing a bunch of hormone, it's going to stimulate your mammary glands to get bigger. That stimulation leads to an increased chance of cancer, and in the cat, unfortunately, something like 98% of mammary tumors are malignant. Almost Mm. every cat that develops a mammary tumor is going to have a high chance of dying from that disease. They, Mm. they love to spread to the lungs. Um, So by the time you diagnose your cat's relatively smallish bump, it could potentially have already spread and then you lose that cat, like fatal condition. So it's again, a big decision that has pretty huge ramifications that should be well thought through uh, risks and costs associated with, you know, doing the work, t- 
time, money, effort, et cetera, should be weighed out against, you know, what's potentially going to happen if you don't do it. So I think that sums up most of what I have to say that's negative on keeping your pet intact. And I'll, I'll go through the small number of positives as well. Do you want to speak to some of those myths that people have of why they should not do it? Some of the people fearing that their dog or cat is going to become just lazy and fat or that they are, I, I guess maybe more so male dog or cat is going to feel like less of a man. <laughs> so I've heard those things. I, I, I think that they're somewhat valid. I mean, there's some validity to all of those things. Not entirely the way that it's painted, I, I don't think, but there's, there's, you know, it's like a lot of myths. There's a little nugget of truth in there. So, yeah, well, let's talk about some of those things. Okay. On the pet side, I think it is unrealistic to say, for instance, that the pet is going to get some kind of emotional boost or a some kind of improved quality of life out of having a litter of, of cats or dogs. That is something that I have heard. I, my dog, I think it wants to have a litter. <laughs> so sorry, I'm sorry. So I, I mean, I've, I've seriously heard it all probably at this point through, but, but I've heard that. I don't, I don't think that's legitimate. I think that I have also heard, yeah, like my dog's not going to be as much of a man. Like, of course you're, you're absolutely right. If you take testosterone out of the male system of any individual, they're going to have less testosterone, which is what defines most people's definition of a man. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a logical statement and I would agree with it to some extent, but I don't think that that necessarily correlates to a negative quality of life in any way. Right. They're not going to walk around depressed about their lack of testicles. No, no, they don't. They can't intellectualize that. Is, mm -hmm. that a, is that a word? Yes. Yes. They can't do that. I think some people, though, will take that to the next thing and say, like, I neutered my dog and he just has never been the same since. He's just so blah. And he got fat. Well, so the blah nature is just completely either the personality of the pet that's not defined by neutering them, or it is the dog kind of adapting to the owner's home life. Because I, I would, I would say that the vast majority of dogs, unless they have an upper airway obstruction, like a bulldog, et cetera, would be able to go somewhere between 10 and 20 miles every single day. Mm. If they were supported in that enough water, enough shade, enough rest periods, they could do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I call not true on that. What is true is that when you spay or neuter a dog and more than likely the cat is probably very similar to this, you will reduce the metabolism of that individual by about 30%. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens relatively quickly. So it's kind of, I mean, you can call it instant menopause, but I think in saying that, I think that brings a, a negative connotation based on just, you know, our own human struggle through menopause. But it does decrease the metabolism really fast. And that metabolism decrease is only how many calories that individual can burn per day, per pound per day. It's not 
energy level, personality, um, drive, none of that. It's, it's really not. So I think if you had, you know, I think the hunting dog people will, will say my dog is much better. My, my intact male dog is much better at hunting than my female dog. I'd say that that's probably true. Makes sense. If you have a dog for a specific reason like that, sometimes, you know, you, you may have to make compromises on things just to be able to do what you're trying to do. But that that doesn't mean that that doesn't come with a medical or behavioral consequence of of those actions or lack of action. So a slow, you know, lethargic, overweight individual is kind of how this is painted. And that's that's not true. What it does, honestly, if you look at it as a positive thing and certainly positive financially, is it means that you have to pay less money for food. You're going to be immediately able to drop your pet's food by 30 percent. And pet food is not an inexpensive thing. It adds up a lot. So that I think is a blessing in a way. And you need to do that reduction in food or your dog will get overweight. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So in those individuals that allow their pet to kind of not have a lot of exercise and feed an excessive amount of calories, it will get overweight and it will be a, yeah, I spayed my dog and they became 15 to 20 pounds overweight in the next two years. Yes, it's going to happen if you don't set, you know, things in place that are going to not facilitate that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and stop you there because I can see how long this is starting to become. And I know this is a very broad topic that we definitely don't want to skimp out on just for time purposes. So let's cut this off here if you're okay with that. I will allow it. (laughs) Thank you. And... we'll just give a little tease so in the next part of the spaying and neutering episode you will hear our topic of spaying and neutering i think we're at the point where we can talk about the actual procedure huh yes okay so that will be in the second part Thank you very much, Dr. Wheaton, for joining us. And we will continue to talk and build that second episode right now. But uh, thank you for being here for all of this important information. Thank you for allowing me to talk. I, I appreciate the opportunity of educating all of those people out there that are listening to the Pet Talk podcast. Yes, which I will just put in right here. I just am back today from the podcast movement conference and we picked up quite a few new listeners and some very cool new listeners that we're excited to now be listening to Pet Talk Podcast. So welcome everybody that's new. Uh, we hope you are enjoying this and we hope everybody gets a lot of good information from this two-part episode on spaying and neutering your pets. Okay, and that is the first part of the spaying and neutering topic for our podcast. I wanted to again welcome you to go check out our website at mypetsdoctor.com. You can also check out our podcast website at pettalkpodcast.com. Through that website, you can get connected to those episodes that we've already recorded before this one. 
depending on where you found this podcast originally, we are on Apple devices through that little purple podcast app that you have on your phone. You can also find us on Stitcher Radio and Google Play for you who have Android devices, or you can just go to our website to listen to the episodes directly there. We are also on Twitter as Pet Talk Podcast. You can also find the Animal Hospital on Twitter at APCC Vet which is the same username for our Instagram and even our Snapchat and our Facebook page is under Alicia Pet Care Center. So just wanted to thank you all for listening to this first part of this episode and keep your eye out for that second episode. It should be following not too long behind this one. 